Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have James Hodges and Alan Beal with Awaken Real Estate. And they've flown in from Midland, Texas to show how they went, uh, or how they made, what was it, a million? In their first 1. year. 1.1. 1. 1. 1 yeah. in their first year wholesaling. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If that's something that you want to join, please let's connect on Instagram. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to the show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now. Tag a friend below or tell them your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And don't forget, this is a live show. So please post your questions for James and Alan to answer. You ready? Ready. Let's rock it. You are a machine on that, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Got a few reps. <laughs> uh, so uh, first question is, what got you guys into real estate? We'll try to make it as short as possible. Got a few reps. But um, so I'll take it back to my entrepreneurial journey because that uh, has had a, a massive influence on the real estate journey as well. So my entrepreneurial journey started when I was actually living on the mission field. Um, my wife and I got married in 2013. And then about eight months after we got married, we went to uh, the mission field. We just felt a calling to go help people that were in need mm -hmm. in other countries. And we just left. Um, we left with backpacks on our back and we went to some of the poorest countries in the world. Um, wow. In 2015, we were in eight different countries. So we ended up in South Africa on an orphanage and we were serving there, teaching kids there. And uh, I was doing that work, but really felt unfulfilled. And I knew that there was something more that I was supposed to do in my life. Mm -hmm. So I saw this girl who was working with us on that base and she had a web design company and she was making money, uh, serving people, doing what she loved doing. And she was in Africa, but she was from New Zealand. Uh -huh. So I was like, you know what? I've got value that I can add. I've got other values that I can bring to the world. And at that point in time, I uh, had just graduated. I ran track and cross country at Texas A&M University. I was a all SEC athlete there. So oh, wow. I was like, if there's anything that I am an expert at, it's health and fitness. Mm -hmm. So I started my journey of becoming a uh, personal trainer and health coach. So we moved back to the States. We had our first daughter in South Africa. So I have a true wow. African-American daughter. <laughs> who's as, white. You could, as you can see. <laughs> yeah. I have a white uh, African-American daughter. Yeah. And uh, so we moved back to the States, but we were completely broke. We had zero money, mm -hmm. no car, no money at all. Had to start from ground zero. And I started uh, building my personal training business up. And eventually that led me to uh, starting an online personal training business, an online fitness company. And it was just a, it was just a struggle, struggling with low margins. Um, you know, in 2017, I made $17,000 total for on, the entire year. The tax return. Yeah. I've got the tax return. To that's a tough, show anybody. tough, tough industry. It's I think tough. that's. I mean, wholesaling is competitive, wholesaling is tough, but right. health and fitness, I mean, everybody's. Yeah, just go to fitness. Instagram and scroll through the fitness section yeah. and see how competitive it is. So I was struggling to make uh, make money there. And there was one point where my wife went to the grocery store 
and we had our first daughter at this point. She was almost two years old, and she uh, called me and she said, "James, I can't buy buy groceries. Um, we we don't have enough money in our account. We're actually overdrawn, and I think we need to go uh, apply for food stamps." So at that point, that's an eye eye opener. Yeah, super eye opener. Uh, at that point, I I had just read the the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, and uh, he was talking about how he was selling the Xerox machines. He was working as a salesman while he was building his his real estate business. So um, reading that book was what initially got me interested in real estate. And um, so right after I read that book, one of my buddies reached out to me and said, hey, I'm starting a trucking company. Do you want to come help me start this? And I was like, dude, I have no desire to, to do trucking, but what's the pay? And he was like, it's going to be $6,000 a month. And I was like, all right, done. I'm in. A little bit better. So um, <laughs> ended up moving across the state of Texas to help my buddy start this, this company. And right before I moved, I saw a webinar for wholesaling. And I had been wanting to get into real estate. And I was like, this strategy requires no money. And it seems like a marketing and sales game. It mm-hmm. seems like a marketing and sales business, which was all the online fitness business was as well. Right. So uh, I was like, I'm going to do that. And this trucking thing is going to be a means to an end in order to start my real estate business. So when we moved out across the state of Texas, uh, the trucking business actually never got going. Oh. Never got you, going. Do you still get paid? We still got paid. Well, that's good. And less, uh, than, less than expected. Yeah, le- much less than expected. So I had to get something else going. And I talked to my wife. I was like, we're either going to go all in on this fitness thing or I'm going to start this wholesaling thing and take the risk and go for it. Sounds like you made the right choice. And uh, so we started. I started wholesaling. I decided to start wholesaling. I got my brother to, to do it with me, uh, talked him into it. And we started putting out bandit signs and started doing driving for dollars. And within our first three weeks, we had three contracts, three properties under contract. First three weeks? First three weeks. Three properties. Three three contracts. Insert That's the, unusual. Insert the disclaimer here, Steve. Yeah. Which These is? results are not typical. What's the? Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are not your typical results, but it, very abnormal that, results. That's what happened uh, within our first three weeks. We had three properties under contract. We were just going pedal to the metal. And I went to my first RIA event and uh, met Alan, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll let him tell his journey in real estate, but that's where we initially met. And, and which a, webinar was that? Uh, it was a RIA event. Oh, which webinar? Yeah. It was um, a Clever Investor. Clever webinar. Investor. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Wow. Yeah. So you're, uh, how did you get into it? I don't, I don't know how to follow that story, <coughs> but uh, I am... I go back a little further with real estate. My wife and I uh, almost accidentally got involved with real estate. My wife jokes about the fact that um, I didn't own, we didn't own a hammer and certainly didn't have any nails or a screwdriver when we got married. But um, we got married in 2003, bought our first house in 2005 and kind of got lucky, did an accidental flip, um, had worked on it a little bit. The market had gone up a little bit and we were getting people wanting to, to buy our house and it wasn't for sale and we and so finally one day we just asked somebody well how much how much could we get for it and it was a friend of ours that was a realtor and he said i think i could get you this much and i mean i remember it, it was at a, i'll never forget we were at a valentine's day party 
and I just smiled and I looked at him and said, how much do you think we could get? And he said what he said. And I thought, there's no way. And um, sure enough, we said, you know what? We'll give to you as a pocket listing. We didn't know what that meant at the time. We, we right. said whatever we said. Yeah, you use, use the lingo. <laughs> we said something. <laughs> we just said, Britt, show us the money, basically. Right. And um, yeah, second second person that looked at it uh, bought it. And so in, in, about a year, in about a year, we kind of accidentally made money. Um, and of course I say that, you know, we had bought a house in a good location. It was, it was, we got it for a good price and, and we had done some good, you know, minor renovations on it to, to make it how we wanted it. So that's how it started. And then, um, we didn't really know what to do. Um, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in the fall of 1999. I was a freshman in college, got real, really fortunate to, to meet some, they were actually multi-level marketing people, you know, network marketing people. And they were you know, giving me books and, and audios to listen to and all this stuff. And that was one of the books um, that I read. And so I've been a fan of, of Kiyosaki's uh, work, at least his early, his early stuff right? Um, for a long time. And so I had, I had that sort of training, financial training. And so we knew enough to know, we thought, okay, we just made a, a decent chunk of money. I think it was about 30 grand. Um, it's sitting in the bank. We moved back into an apartment. You know, my wife, who's a saint, um, said, you know, I, I, we just made some money. I don't want to blow it. Uh, we don't want to go buy another house in a high market. Uh, the market was very, very high. So anyway, so we set on the money and, and waited for about a year. And in uh, 2007, we actually purchased two properties, one for us to live in and one became, uh, it was going to be a flip. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll never, I'll never forget it, Steve. We, <clears throat> we got this great deal in this off market house. Like I said, that was going to be a flip, found it at a garage sale. Um, just got to talking to the lady at the garage sale and she said, well, I'm going to sell the house too, if you want that jokingly. And I said, show it to me. And, um, so that's, that's, um, that's how a lot of this started. We stumbled on that. And I I said, I'm literally, I stuck a for sale sign in the yard the next day, did nothing to it. Just stuck a for sale sign in the, in the yard of that house. And every people would come and look at it and I would send them off to a lender that was a great lender. Um, everybody that saw it wanted it and then I would never hear from them again and this went on you know week after week month after month and um, I remember I went to work one day uh, I worked as a tennis professional I was actually that was my day job I'm a, a tennis pro wow and um, it's got a track star and a tennis pro uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go um, and my buddy at work Scott he said he said Alan do you not watch the news do you not know what's going on and I said, you know, I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. I don't, mm-hmm. put, my, I don't put that stuff in my head. You know, I don't, want, I don't want that stuff bouncing around my head. And he flipped on the TV in the pro shop at work. And it was just every channel you went to. It was financial collapse. It was, and I, I mean, I honestly, I just had my head in the sand, I guess. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So we basically got stuck with the house. Um, and we, I so badly did not want to be a landlord and rent it out that we just ate uh, two mortgage payments. And, um, again, my, my wife, who's a saint, um, was not so happy with me after, after that went on long enough and started getting credit card debt and other things trying to, trying to keep it going. And we, we eventually said, you know what, let's lease it out. Um, started making some cash flow. the cash flow. This is despite all the years of Robert Kiyosaki training about, about cash flow and, and building, you know, acquiring assets and building equity. And we just, um, you know, didn't want to be a landlord, but right. it worked. And we, um, we said, well, that wasn't so bad after we went through all the stuff that you go through with tenants when you've never had ten- tenants before. Yeah. Your first learned, time <laughs> learned all those lessons the hard way. Um, and, in uh, 
a few years later, we said, well, that wasn't so bad. Let's do it again. We did it again, and we basically started accumulating kind of higher-end rental properties uh, so in, you our, kept in our town. Ended up keeping it because you the cash, it? cash flow was good. So I finally sold it in that first one. I finally sold it. I re- rehabbed it and sold it in 2017. So I had it for I had it for 10 years. For nine years, we re- leased it out and <coughs> made all kinds of money. So a reluctant landlord, but it, it was okay. It all worked out. Uh, it, it eventually worked out. We lost a lot of money for a couple years and yeah. it was painful as you you know as you can imagine anybody that's been in real estate but it was part of the growth so exactly. when did you start wholesaling so i um i started flipping about three years ago mm-hmm. full-time and then um was doing it the wrong way uh was doing everything myself and i i got to the end of 2017 and i, th- I said i need a change you know something's got to change and so I joined a, a mastermind group. I started listening to all kinds of podcasts from all kinds of different people and um, just started surrounding myself with people that were working smarter than I was. And so um, soon as I did that, I remember the first time I even heard the word wholesaling. I had no idea, Steve. Um, <clears throat> been in real estate for you know a decent amount of time, had never heard of it. And so I went to trusty Google and uh, Googled it mm-hmm. and as soon as I read it, I thought, I know exactly if this is what I remember thinking. And I told my wife, if this is what I think it is, if these people are doing what I think they're doing, this is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so right. much better than what I'm doing. And, um, and I was making money flipping, you know, do, doing pretty well. But um, so that's that's when it started. So um, we met in February at the end of February at that RIA. I mean, I joined that mastermind group trying to learn as much as I could learn and just jumped in and started started so you yeah. made your transition and then you were like there's gotta be a better way then you guys hooked up and then, then we and, met and we, steve that's the only really like right when he decided he was going to start wholesaling i went to that first ria it was his his first ria meeting to ever go to as well and we connected there yeah and we knew we were kind of on the same wavelength so we met up for coffee uh it was about a week later and we were talking about our vision with real estate and we're in a, you know, at that point we were like, you know what, we can, we've got a really similar vision. We can either team up or compete against each other. And so since we had an, a similar vision and we were both at the beginning of our wholesaling journey, we decided to team up and we had, we had a good connection as well. Uh, we, we had an idea that we would work really well together. So, okay. So then. What were some of the early struggles when you guys first started? So when we first started, uh, he was still flipping his last house and I was doing most of the the wholesaling work. So when we first started, I think some of the early struggles were wearing too many hats, sitting in so many seats and taking on so much responsibility because when we decided to partner up, we had a big vision and we knew we wanted to hit the ground running we knew that we wanted to not dabble in it. We were all in and we were going to create a business and create a company. So that was where our sites were set. And so we started marketing like that. And so I was taking the phone calls. I was going on acquisitions appointments. I was running the comps. I was doing the, the title uh, title work as well. Yeah. So I, I, we were sitting in so many different seats when we first got started. So bandit signs. Mm-hmm. was what you guys were doing at that time. We, we we started doing other marketing methods as well. That's what I started with initially. Mm-hmm. That was what got our first deal, my first deal ever, and then driving for dollars as well. 
and I was doing PPC as well on my own. I just taught myself how to do PPC. Awesome. And uh, got deals from that. So we, I, I come from a marketing background. Uh, right, you were doing sales and marketing for health and fitness. So this right. was just an easy transition for you. Right. So uh, with a marketing background, I want to do as many marketing avenues as I can efficiently. And so that was the the mindset and the perspective that I had. So I was like, I don't want to just go all in on, on one thing and just do that. I want to be able to do uh, multiple marketing channels efficiently. Yeah. Which we don't normally advise. We normally say, like, go deep on one, do well on that one, mm-hmm. and go to the second one. But you just went deep on all of them. He, James <laughs> is an action taker. So, and, yeah. and when we met, that's why we partnered up. I thought, you know, we met at that Rio. We talked for a few minutes afterwards, and I thought, he's an action taker. And we, we know that, right? Like, how many people do we meet? Oh, I've, I've always wanted to do real estate. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm thinking about doing real estate. You know what? Someday I'm going to do real estate. There's, they're everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's almost everybody that you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I met, I met him, and and at, by circumstance, you know, by fate, and um, we, he had already been taking action, and and a month before that, he didn't know what wholesaling was. Right. So he's an action taker. So he he did a few different methods of marketing. We immediately started doing direct mail, figured out how to play that game, um, and then it went from there. So. And I, I don't. Just, just to clarify, I don't recommend that people start off with a, a bunch of different marketing channels. <laughs> no. I actually recommend the opposite. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whenever we teach people how to do it, I actually recommend starting with one to two and going deep into that as well. Yeah. I, I don't recommend how I started. Right. <laughs> it, just, it worked, though. I, I, we throw mud to, on the wall. Just throw yeah, mud on the wall. Yeah, we were able to get traction. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. It worked. <laughs> no, that is not what we recommend to, to people. So how is your guys' operation different than some of your peers in your market? So I think that, like I mentioned before, I have a marketing background. Mm-hmm. I feel like I really understand marketing like a marketer and not somebody who just bought a wholesaling course. And the, the course said, hey, send some postcards. Hey, put out some bandit signs. I understand yeah. the principles of marketing. And I think that a lot of people in the wholesaling industry don't. They yeah. don't truly understand the principles of marketing. They don't understand uh, marketing stamina. And I feel like we really grasp that. And I've been, been able to bring that to the table in our company. And I think it's made a huge difference for uh, us. Marketing stamina. I've only heard that from Dean Graziosi. Is that where you get that from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he really likes that term. Yeah, but it's true. That's you absolutely know, true. It, it's how it's how real marketers think. Yeah. And mo- a lot of people, they get started in real estate and wholesaling and they, they try a couple of different marketing avenues and they may try to go, they may try to spread themselves too thin and they're like, oh, this doesn't work. Right. And or they, they can only afford in, like a month and a half. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so they don't have the stamina to stick in there and do the activities that are going to be uh, income producing activities. They don't have the stamina to stay in there until they reap the rewards from their activities. Yeah. Um, and sales and marketing is actually something I'm very passionate about as well. Mm-hmm. So like you, I did my own pay-per-click. Uh, yeah. So one of the guys I liked studying a lot was Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy. All right, the God, like the godfather. Make them laugh and take their money. Isn't that him? <laughs> I don't know if that's him, but he's got some really good, <laughs> he does have was. some really good quotes though. Yeah, some one-liners. Yeah, he's got some really amazing quotes. So I'm just curious, who are you learning from? So I learned from a lot of people. I actually learned from uh, Dan Kennedy as well. Um, you know, Russell Brunson, uh, all, all kinds of people. Yeah. Uh, Frank Kern, you know, there, there's all kinds genius. of genius. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we, Steve, we don't, 
what I've gathered from our short time in the in the in the world of real estate is I see and James references we see a lot of people who are real estate people who want to learn how to wholesale mm-hmm. or they're real estate people and they want to learn how to flip I, I, what I've learned is we're we're sales and marketing guys who oh, yeah. learned how to wholesale. Well, and I think that's true with like every industry, and everyone misses it, right? We're sales and marketing it people. Should be yeah. that way in every industry. That right? happens to be in wholesale. Yeah, this is just the vehicle. Yep, it's absolutely. just the vehicle. You yeah, I preach that many times. The, people don't. <laughs> yeah. they don't get it. Yeah, you learn the inner workings of this industry, and you apply your skill sets and your knowledge to this industry. And that's where you see guys who are serial entrepreneurs that are able to take marketing and sales principles and they're able to duplicate that across multiple industries and multiple businesses. So, you know, if you take skill sets and knowledge, knowledge base like that and apply it to this industry and you really learn the inner workings, then you can see massive growth. Absolutely. Uh, Max Menace, my business partner, he wants to know, um, what marketing channel is working best for you guys? Max, are we gonna get to say hi to Max while we're here? Did you guys reach out to him? Hey, Max. Oh, I don't think we did. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Max. Man. We were uh, <laughs> supposed to reach out to you. What, so, what, what marketing channels are working the best? We are getting a lot of good results from direct mail. That's something that has always worked well for us. Uh, PPC works well for us. Cold calling works well. I think any marketing channel can work well for anybody if they stick in there long enough to figure yeah. figure it out and figure out how to how to make it work. And if they look at the analytics of because we've operated in several different markets around Texas, large mm-hmm. markets, medium sized markets, smaller markets, and each market has its own little things about it. For whatever reason, it's apparently the way it's always been. Different oh, yeah. things work better in different markets. So there's markets where RVM works great, and <clears throat> there's markets where direct mail is fantastic, um, but to have the the wherewithal to try things and stick with it long enough to run your numbers is part of it. And then also to be, maybe to be able to predict, okay, based on what we know, this will likely be very, very good. That's where I think the experience comes in. And, um, are you guys finding the same marketing channel as working in one medium-sized market, working in another medium-sized market, or, you, or does it still depend on not No, necessarily. not necessarily, yeah. honestly, and we've been in We've been in several different markets around Texas, and that's something that we have noticed is that you, you've got to test the market. Each <laughs> yeah. market is different, and you know one one marketing avenue like direct mail in one market could work great, and it could be the same market size, same demographics, yeah. same, same p- purchase price, you know, same median price, all and that. Then, and then you try it in another market, and it's it just didn't work as well. Yeah. I know for sure. As well. uh, for us, uh, we've been uh, we canceled. Uh, RVMs this week. Yeah, you it's, canceled. We RVM. canceled. It's just a dud in Phoenix. It yeah. worked. It worked. And now but it doesn't. Last can't remember the last deal we got from RVMs. And if you're not following your KPIs, if you're not, if you don't have those spreadsheets, if you don't have your your weekly meetings, I'm sure you guys do. Oh yeah, we do. We track. It's like okay, here's how much we spent on RVMs last week. Right. Here's how many leads we got. Here's how many conversations. Mm-hmm. Oh, six straight weeks is zero. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe it's time to turn that off. Right. Yeah. Um, you also do text, I'm assuming. Text still working well? That's our best. Number one, hands down. Uh, Noel Challenger wants to know, are there any good books or courses that have helped you guys with your sales skills? Is it Noah? Noel Challenger. All right. Hey, Noel, what's up? Um, oh, I love sales. James knows sales is my sales is my uh, my hot button yeah? issue. So 
I know James likes Greatest Salesman in the World. Little old school Augmentino. Greatest Dino. Salesman in the World. So check that out. How I Raised Myself from Success to Failure and F- failure, failure to, to success. success in Sales. Frank Betcher. Mm-hmm. Um, old school, but I think How I Raised Myself uh, from Failure to Success is fantastic. One of the all timers. Um, everybody talks about Never Split the Difference, uh, which is which is good. But I think if you don't have the bigger picture fundamentals of how to deal with people, it's some of the techniques are harder to apply. So can you elaborate on that? So I think people who, if you haven't spent time, if you haven't read how to win friends Mm -hmm. and influence people, you know, two, three, four, five times, not, not in a row, but over the course of time, connecting, connecting with people, how to just how to talk to people, what to maybe what to say, what not to say. Uh, Interestingly, he wrote the book a hundred years ago and yet it all still applies. Right. Even more so probably now. Yeah. So yeah, exactly because people are becoming more and more surface level, and if you know right. how to connect with people, you stand out even more yep. in today's society. I think the foundation for people, in my opinion, should be, and depending on the situation that they're in, should be more of that that the the fundamentals, the the basics of human behavior. Um, so I, I would start with those, and then I would get into the newer newer school stuff. Yeah, you know that's what's fascinating to me, right? Because I started in real estate two thousand seven as a real estate agent, as a former engineer. So for me, <laughs> you I had to learn to talk to people. I had to learn how to connect people. <laughs> right. And like, yeah, you, you said you wanted a three bedroom, two bath under 175,000 square, you know, $1,000. Like, <laughs> what is the problem here? What's, what's your problem? <laughs> like you said, you wanted it. Like what's stopping you from moving forward? So where's right. your checkbook? <laughs> so there is definitely connecting with people where it makes a big difference. Right. Um, I think uh, another great sales book, because there's the connecting with people and as a salesman, you you also have to have the perseverance. And I think Fanatical Prospecting mm-hmm. is a great book, a great book uh, by Jeb Blunt. Yeah. He talks about the, the perseverance and knowing your numbers as a salesman and knowing that if you talk to 50 people and you get one contract, then how many people do you need to talk to to get three contracts? And finding out how to reverse engineer your numbers. Yeah, it's a great concept. I think definitely yeah. people should be paying attention to that. Um, one thing that we were talking about before offline, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about it, is disclosure versus non-disclosure states. So this is a new concept I've never even heard of. So we visit with a lot of people, right? We have friends in real estate. I don't know if in all 50 states, but we have friends in, I venture to say, 40 out of the 50 states. Mm-hmm. and we're consistently amazed that uh, people haven't heard of disclosure states versus non-disclosure states. I would say just Google it yeah. um, and see. But one of the things that we've uh, we've learned is, so when we pull lists in the state of Texas, which is a non-disclosure state, you know, we're not, there, there's a lot of data that is not reported because it's not required to be reported. And in fact, uh, apparently it's not allowed to be reported because it's not ever. So for example, purchase prices, um, of course you can get that from the MLS. If you have MLS access, you can yeah. you can learn what purchase prices were if it was an on-market deal. Uh, but as far as tax records, which is where virtually all data is pulled from, mm-hmm. right? In every state, um, there's so little that's disclosed. Uh, the only time that any numbers are even disclosed, it's really not even on the tax records, it's just filed at the courthouse on the deed if there was a loan and it's how much the loan, how much the lien is on the property. And that's, you know, again, you, you cannot hop on list source and get that information. It's, it's written on the deed that's filed at the courthouse. So it's just, I think, I guess the principle is, you know, learn your market, learn your, yeah. learn the rules yeah. and learn, because one of the things, if you don't know, if you don't know that, you're gonna be buying lists and pulling lists 
And you may want to, for example, pull unknown. Include the unknown. Include yeah. the unknown if, data. If you're, right? in a, if you're in a non-disclosure state, you have to include unknowns in a lot of your lists. Right. So that's a, if that's you can a nugget it, for... If you can afford it. Yeah. And I would say... You, you said in Arizona, if you pull unknowns, it's virtually there's none. Yeah, so I pulled an unknown, unknown list this week. Because someone's like, oh, you got to pull unknowns, you got to pull unknowns. I was like, all right, so I'll pull an unknown list. It's a 1,000 people. I can get that in a day. You know, right. We can get through that list in one that day. That gets you nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, again, I think it's know your market. Yeah, don't, don't yeah. waste your time. If you're in a disclosure state, it's not going to matter. Everything's going to be disclosed. Um, I think that's one of the differences between markets and between states. So, yeah, yeah it's just or, – or talk to someone who's familiar and, and ask them, you know, how do I apply that? And for, you know, what's, what's the deal? Neither of you guys are licensed, I assume. No. Or, so it's funny, I was actually having a call. It was a, a consultation with someone in Texas. And he's like, oh, this isn't going to work in my market. He was actually the one I was telling, telling you. He's like, yeah, Austin's tough. Yeah. He's like, it's not going to work in my market because I'm a licensed real estate agent. He's like, what does that mean? And he says, every single call, you have to disclose, you I'm do. a licensed yep. real estate agent. You do. Yeah. Which is, it's crazy that you don't disclose the purchase price, but the real estate agents have to disclose that they're real estate agents. Right. Yeah. The, That's the a Texas good point. Board of Realtors <laughs> requires you to, to disclose it. Yeah. Because we've had people where we cold call and they're like, you're a real estate agent. You need to disclose that. That's illegal. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a broker. Yeah. I'm doing this for a long time. <laughs> I don't know what law you're referring to, but then we learned recently. It's, it's a Texas requirement. It, yeah. You know, Texas, I mean, we, they, they think that they can just you know, do all kinds of things. So yeah, yeah. apparently there, and again, I, I would recommend just go state by state, right? Know, know your market, know your market, know what applies and what doesn't, and don't just listen to everything that you hear. Yeah. it's <laughs> a good lesson. Uh, I'm, I'm butchering this name, but, uh, Woogie, uh, asks, do you think that since more people are cold calling that those who are doing direct mail are getting a better conversion rate? I think that you need to <laughs> test it in your market and, uh, yes and no. I think that direct mail uh, gets great, ra- great great response rates in some markets, and I think that in other markets it gets a horrible response rate. So mm-hmm. I think that you have to test it in your market. You can't. I, I can't throw a blanket generalization over any marketing avenue. It's yeah. market specific. And 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 we can if if he or she I don't want to offend anybody I don't mm-hmm. know I couldn't understand the name that you said but if they want to you know reach out we'll give our contact information at the end and right we can give our opinion on you know maybe the numbers so there's response rates right so if you spend a couple thousand dollars on mailers and you just very simply track how many phone calls you get and depending on um, the response rate you know if it's three percent or two percent or one percent or half a percent um, apparently there's markets like here where you get a point. 0.2% yeah. callback rate, then you may want to reconsider uh, your choice in spending money. Right, absolutely. Uh, Lucas Orozco wants to know how many hours per week are you guys cold calling? We'll start with that question. We're cold calling about 50 hours a week. And between uh, all you guys? T- total man hours, yeah. Yeah, yeah. total. Mm-hmm. Yep. So pretty pretty, pretty small amount, I would say. Yeah, pretty, pretty small amount. We're not. Um, the the markets that we're focusing on the the list sizes aren't big enough to support more than that yeah uh and then he also wants to know how are you guys recycling your lists for cold calling so yeah we just alternate between uh between lists so we try to hit one list about every two or three months okay steve i love these questions Oh, I mean, this is from the audience, so it's awesome. I love it when we get active <laughs> participation. Uh, Carlton Hooks wants to know, he's one of the studs in my office. Um, do you guys <laughs> both visit the home or, or 
Do you both go visit the home or do you guys lock it up over the phone? Okay, here we go. Can I handle this as a sales? This is a sales question. All right. So Carlton, what's up, my man? Is he acquisitions? Yes. So acquisition or listing, depending which way the seller appointment goes. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. So we actually prefer to we we're we're boots on the ground, and we uh, coming from a sales background. You know, my thinking is get me in front of somebody, get me into a conversation with somebody, and we've found that our margins on deals are a lot better when we're in person. Um, we actually are doing acquisitions and dispositions m- mostly in person. You know, I want dispositions my, in person. We we are. I'm not saying that everybody needs to do that. Um, depending on your market, depending on your situation, we are we are grossing a lot more profit. Um, I think because as far as what are what are the differences between us and other wholesalers, mm-hmm. um, we we are we go deep with. Um, with the in-person yeah. stuff. Now we're able to do, we've done, we've gone virtual. Um, we've done things every which way. A lot of our properties sell side and scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're, if it's going side and scene, they're going above asking price. And um, if they want it that bad, badly, yeah. right? Otherwise we're gonna get, we're gonna show it and, and we're gonna try to get the, the most for it. Um, again, that's market specific. So not, not saying everybody needs to do that. That's what we do. Uh, Awesome. And then uh, Solution Services wants to know, do you guys pull any of your deals or do you guys put all your wholesale deals on the MLS? We actually don't put any on the MLS. Okay. Yeah. Good question. Check in, check yeah. on the rules in your in your area. There's states where you're allowed to do that and there's states where you're and, not allowed to do that. And there's that. markets that, that work better for that as well. You know, some markets, uh, especially if you're in a smaller market, may mm-hmm. not be a great market to do that in because word gets around quickly. And some markets that we've we have operated in the uh, agents don't even know what wholesaling what wholesaling is. The, <laughs> that, that would the be title companies, market, right? <laughs> even this market, <laughs> yeah, the title companies don't know what wholesaling is. Yeah. So there are markets that that may not be as good of an idea yeah. to do. In. And, we, and we've invested a lot of time and and effort into our buyers list. So a lot of times, you know, knock, knock on wood, I say this in a humble way. A lot of times we're outperforming the MLS. Uh, with our the prices price per square foot that we're selling things for, so can you elaborate on dispositions in person? Because that's the first time I've ever heard anyone do it. This really, I, I've heard people do it over the phone, right? Instead of doing like yeah. an email blast, text blast, I'm gonna call you. Hey James, I got this property locked up. Sure, calling you first, right? Everyone wants that first call. So there's in a lot person. of different ways to do dispositions, right? So one of the ways um, that you can do it is we, so so we have a full-time dispositions person who has a sales background. Um, he's done acquisitions, he's done dispositions. In fact, all of our people are cross-trained. Yep. Um, and he gets the business enough to where we're comfortable with him. Um, so w- if it's an occupied house, we'll schedule it. We'll try to make sure that the people living there are gone, are out of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's occupied, we don't typically put a lockbox on it. Um, but we do, we, we want him over there. You know, I want him showing the property. We'll try to get three, four, five, six buyers there. You know, not, not a million buyers or anything, but right. create the auction effect a little bit. Um, and so we'll have so little, little nugget for, for you guys that are considering doing this. You know, we have a, it's kind of awkward, but we have a no talking policy. So just, just <laughs> nobody talk to anybody, please. And it's, we're all, we, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of joke about it, but we we're really not joking about it. Like, Hey, and we're very direct and upfront about that with the buyers. 
like hey, no words, no words spoken. Just as like if you could just grade, have no, yeah, the silent yeah. game. It is, yeah. Put what's yeah. the put your hands in your yeah. My my kids <laughs> do this at their preschool, right? Um, make a bubble. Um, they, do, they do. You have kids. Oh yeah. Um, they do the make a bubble. We need to have a make a bubble rule with our with our buyers. So no no talking to other buyers. No talking to tenants. No talking to anybody that you see. Um, and in fact, if you even see me, we'll make eye contact, but no words will actually come out of our mouths. And it's awkward, right? Yeah. But the, we joke about it to, to make a point, you know, and, and we don't want anybody talking to, uh, I don't want anybody bashing the house. I don't want, oh man, this is, this is in rough shape. You know how buyers are. Oh yeah. I'm an investor. I'm, I'm a buyer too. I, I would do the same thing. When I go to MLS listings and it's bad, I may or may not be back in the back of the house. <laughs> you know, bashing the, <laughs> bashing the house to, to the other legit buyers that are there. Yeah. So no, no talking. And of course we don't want them talking around our, our tenants or sellers. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, no talking, get in, get out 15, 15 minutes. Um, we've had people show up late, buyer shows up late, dude, sorry, you missed it. Yeah. Um, you missed your chance and we'll because s- we'll schedule, we will schedule times with the seller right when we lock up a contract, right when we lock up the contract, we're scheduling times to go view the house we're scheduling viewing times for these buyers to show up. So they've got like one or two times, time slots that they've got to show up and that's it. That's brilliant. You just send an expectation up front. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so that's two huge nuggets. So blow bubble. Blow <laughs> bubble. And set the schedule. Are we tally? You don't have a whiteboard. We can tally up the <laughs> Yeah. It, the and it's nuggets. so like that, that's part of the issue with owner occupied houses. Vacants, yeah. we try to get a lockbox on the property and immediately, yeah. but we still try to do the same thing because whenever you are controlling the process, it helps uh, to increase the demand. All right. So absolutely. Yeah. So so we whether it's vacant, occupied. If it's occupied, though, schedule the showing time right when you lock up the contract and make clear expectations with that homeowner immediately. Uh, what the process is going to look moving forward. The, the acquisitions person, yeah, uh, obviously does that while they're signing the contract. Yeah, whether that's um, in person signing the contract or they weren't able to lock it up in person, so they're on the phone taking them through the DocuSign. That's another uh, big, big one that we didn't do at first. We don't just send DocuSigns randomly and hope that sellers sign them. Um, we're actually not sending the DocuSign until we're on the phone with them. Okay, do you, do you have your email opened up? Okay, click click the inbox button. Do you see the Do you see the email the from Doc? Mm-hmm. Okay, click on that. Right. It, uh, to me, this is sales, right? Like that's yeah. sales. You control um, the lead, process. Lead the process, and um, so from that moment right there, all the way through the signing of the contract, and then explaining, okay, here's how this is going to work, um, and it goes through the the point of, okay, I'm going to put a lockbox on the property so my guys can get in there, and so yeah, we like to lead the process all the way through, and then the, of course acquisitions will hand it off to to who they hand it off. That's brilliant. Lots of lots of gold nuggets there. Uh, Jeffrey Smith wants to know, what does your team look like today? So our team is Jeffrey. Uh, myself and Alan, and I run all of the marketing for, for our company. Uh, Alan helps with sales training. Uh, he's also, we were doing some flips. Uh, we're not doing as many flips now. Uh, so Alan was overseeing that. And then we have a lead intake manager. We have an acquisitions rep and a dispositions rep. And our lead intake manager also helps with transaction coordinating. So uh, the lead intake manager, explain to me what exactly this person's role is. So all of the <coughs> inbound leads, he's in charge of uh, managing the inbound leads. And then we, we do have uh, cold called leads that come in as well from our cold caller. Mm-hmm. And those go directly to the acquisitions rep. But the lead manager makes sure that the cold call information is input into our CRM and documented. So gotcha. inbound versus outbound. I'm not, I don't come from a marketing background. So I literally, I don't know, you do probably, but I have to stop and think through 
Okay, inbound means mail. Is it anybody that calls us, right? Yeah, anybody right. who so is responding to a marketing message that we put out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, are they sales trained or are they just input? Great question. Mostly just input. Okay. Uh, they, they do. They are relationship trained mm -hmm. and uh, people trained, but they're not necessarily sales trained. Gotcha. Gather gather information, get a good rapport, put it in the CRM, make a clean handoff to clean the acquisitions rep, and, and they do and they schedule an appointment. Mm -hmm. um, if it's in any way even a potentially qualified lead, we go ahead and schedule the appointment. If it's a if it's a colder lead, um, based on the criteria that we've we have specific criteria that they're trained on how to qualify yeah. a lead. Um, if it's a cold lead, um, it, they'll book it out, you know, a week and a half um, just to get something on the calendar so the acquisitions guy can really analyze the deal. If they feel like it's a warmer lead, they'll schedule it for three or four days out. If they feel like it's a hot lead, they'll schedule it as soon as possible, and they immediately hang up the phone and call the acquisitions guy and say, I, I got one, I got one, right? So yeah. um, there, there's a, a little bit more to their job than, um, than maybe a lot of people realize. Gotcha. Uh, and then he also wants to know what's your biggest challenge over the last few months? Is this Jeffrey again? This is Jeffrey again. Man. Oh my goodness, Jeffrey. So, you know, speaking of our team, I mean, we guys, we've, we've wholesaled several different ways. There's a lot of different ways to do this. And we've grown our team from just James and I uh, up to <laughs> four people, eight people, up to 12 people in, you know, in six, seven months from scratch. Um, up to 12 people, we've then uh, in, into multiple markets. Um, so three, four markets simultaneously. And then we've scaled back down. Uh, now we're back down to, I guess, six, six or so people. Um, so uh, I like the word challenge, opportunity, our biggest, Jeffrey, we're going to call it opportunity, our <laughs> biggest opportunities um, lately. Um, I really think it's, um, it's probably that it's probably the personnel um, getting, getting the, the systems and the people doing what we need them to do and documenting it the way that we need them to document it and making those like making the personnel just how do you grow your team yeah um, right how, how do you <laughs> making sure the team is running efficiently as efficiently as possible and whenever we we scaled back we actually our, our gross profit went through the roof whenever we brought our team in we went from 12 people down to six people and we just did two hundred four thousand dollars last month mm -hmm. in gross profit and wholesale fees and, th and that was our highest month ever and it was nice. with a smaller team and it's the power of focus. Yeah. So it's getting everybody focused on what they need to be doing, what their responsibilities are, what their outcomes are for, for the day, for the week, getting everybody laser focused on what they need to be doing and what their outcomes are. And can we, if I could drop, drop something here that we've learned um, the hard way, um, for those of you out there that are, that are setting goals and you wanna, you wanna, so what we teach people that, that we're, um, scaling their business we tell them you know be specific with your goals so so for example we set a goal we said we want to gross five hundred thousand dollars in profit by a certain date it was a goal it was specific it was realistic it was measurable it was attainable and it had a time frame on it it was a, it was a goal right we we weren't we got all those things right except it wasn't specific enough we said we said uh, gross profit, we probably should have set a net profit goal. Yeah. So, so get specific because you guys, you can make all kinds of gross profit. Um, but that's not what you take to the <laughs> bank. Right. <laughs> it's, exactly. it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Allie Berry wants to know when you're assigning the contract, how are you explaining to the homeowner that the sell to another investor for higher than the offer 
when it's time to close. So how do you explain the assignment to the we, homeowner? We actually don't assign hardly any deals. Uh, we double close almost everything that we do. Yeah, we, we're, we're actually double closing. So okay. um, we chose to go the route of double closing and typically, you know, typically bringing money to the table, closing on it, and then simultaneously a double escrow. When you guys do double close in Texas, you guys have to bring the funds? Legally, yeah, legally you're supposed to bring funds to oh, the table. That's not the case in Arizona. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there, there are some times that we have not had to, but uh, technically you're supposed to. There are more and more title companies going away from that in Texas, mm -hmm. and there are fewer title companies that will do a, a true title pass-through. Uh, it, it's just becoming rare, more mm -hmm. rare and more rare every day. So yeah, what we're talking about is there's an A to B transaction, there's a B to C transaction, and, and what we're talking about is using the funds from the C transaction to fund the A purchase, right? the A to B purchase, right? <coughs> so sounds like I need to go down there and be a transactional. You can just start a title company in Texas, Steve. Well, I already got one here, so might as well. Yeah, congratulations. Come on. Come on. Thank you. How's that going? It's going good. So it's it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be, but <laughs> that's, that's kind of how it always goes with every business. Let's talk about exactly. the 10X. We, we need to talk about the 10X rule. So. Uh, let's see. So we want to ask another question. You tell a seller that you're bringing. Okay. So you tell every seller you're bringing potential buyers through. We already talked about that. We don't. Do you tell them that we, they're, what do you tell them? We, we Who's coming through the house? We, don't, we do not tell the seller that. Um, we, we do things on a need to know basis. So yeah. so how what, do you explain these randos going through the house? <laughs> so our, our um, yeah, my acquisitions guys are trained to to tell them, you know, look, we've got we've got my boss that needs to see the property. We've got my, my boss's business partner that needs to see the property. And then we've got contractors. The way that we're able to do what we're able to do uh, is we move, we move quickly. So on Wednesday, when we're back, we'll be back here on Wednesday at two o'clock. He'll say we, even though he is an acquisitions person is not yeah. going to be back, but he'll say, um, he'll say, you know, Jacob's going to be here. He's in charge of all of our contractors. He's in charge of all of our, our operations. And Jacob's going to be here on Wednesday at two o'clock. Like we talked about, we're going to try to get, you know, this is, this is great for you, Steve, because we're going to try to get everybody in there at the same time. My goal and Jacob's goal is to get everybody in there. We're going to get in. We're going to get out. It's going to be about 30 minutes. You're going to go to Starbucks. You know, you're going to get a coffee. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. You're going to take your, you're going to take gonna your be great. kid. Yeah. You're going to take your kid to Chick-fil-A. It's going to be perfect. We're yeah. going to, we're going to, we're going to buy you a Chick-fil-A meal and, um, and we're going to be in and out in in 30 minutes and um that way we're that's how we're able to do this that's how yeah. we're able to throw around cash like like we don't take that lightly you know i want all my ducks in a row i want to yeah. get everybody in here i want everybody on the same page we'll get the scope of work you know we don't we may not say scope of work but we're going to get everybody knowing what needs to happen as soon as possible and that's how we're able to close so quickly that's awesome um let's see i got other questions on this side um so we got. By the way, Steve, while you're pulling up the next question, yeah. our goal is not to be deceptive or anything like that. Again, when I say things are on a need-to-know basis, the the seller what they really want to know is: Are you going to close on my house? Are you going to close on this deal? Are you going to get money in my bank account? Are you going to get this done? And they need to know from us that we're going to. And so we're de very definitive about that. Like this is how this is going to work. This is the next step. This is what's going to happen. And this is this is. All they all sellers want to know is, do I have certainty here? You know, can I trust you? And I think explaining it like that brings a sense of certainty. Um, and it almost, it almost, most of our sellers, it actually calms them down a little bit. Right. 
to realize, hey, this is just how this is going to work. Yep. Um, so our goal is not to be not to be deceptive, but um, and by the way, we flip houses as well. So yeah. um, we do need to get we you know there are times actually literally where I'll go to the showing if it's a house I'm I'm thinking about buying, which happens quite frequently, and I'm going to buy it say from my from my wholesaling company. Then I literally will go with my contractor. In fact, I do that quite a bit. So um, that I think that needs to be your mindset. I don't think look at things like I'm a wholesaler um, and I need to trick people into mm-hmm. um, look at every property as if you were going to buy it. And maybe maybe you need to bring your contractor every once in a while. All right. And that's why our dispositions process looks the way it does as well is because it, it benefits the homeowner uh, tremendously whenever we do it that way. Instead of having a bunch of different showings, we want to keep them uh, having as much peace as peace of mind as possible. Reduce the chaos. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so Sire Swagger wants to know: Do you was your contract written by attorney off the internet, or where did you guys get your assignment? Oh my goodness, James! Tell them the story about our contract. <laughs> <laughs> so we got our contract from a course that I bought. Oh, nice. And then we had revisions made. Before James and Alan met. Yes. <laughs> so I bought a course, and that's how I learned how to start wholesaling mm-hmm. and got a contract from the course. Mm-hmm. And we have made several revisions to it over time. Every time we learn a lesson. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and I don't know if we're going to get into this, but so one of the things, for example, we've, we've dealt with a lot of different title companies. Each title company, I'm sure you have too, each title company that you deal with, a lot of times you end up talking to different closing agents. Sometimes you end up talking to their attorneys, just not because anything's wrong, but just through that relationship, right? Yeah. Um, we've also learned things from those relationships and they'll, thank God, you know, they'll say things like, um, hey, just so you know, <laughs> I noticed that you didn't have a such and such clause in there. Um, or just so you know, other investors do such and such. So that's how it came about. I think it's a great contract. Um, I think that people should go state by state when it comes to contracts. Yeah, I've heard in Texas a lot of guys like a lot of investors like to use the TREC contract. Yes, the yeah. Trek forms. Yeah, but you guys don't. We don't. Uh, the Trek Trek form is like between ten and ten and fourteen pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, We've thought about using it. Now, keep in mind, we're not licensed. Right. Um, I don't think these guys are either that are telling you don't, me about you it. Don't, you don't have to be. You don't have to, to, to be. the truck form. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, no, you know, no you offense to You have to, to for the Arizona my, one. Yeah, that's absolutely what Absolutely have to be. In Arizona, you have to, use, you have to be. It's a, it's, a, it's a trademarked document. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I think ours are trademarked. But they, they may not enforce it. Uh, that that may be what it is, and that yeah. again, guys, we're not giving legal advice or anything, but, and I think Steve's on a good uh, a good point here as far as the there's the realities and the technicalities of it, mm-hmm. and then there's the you know those are two different things, the reality, and the technicality. Did we answer that? Uh, yeah, you guys do your own, and you you had multiple people give you advice on how to update and tweak your contracts. Yes. Wow. Uh, so you guys have one cold caller, right? Or was it two? One cold caller. One, because that's all we need. If we needed two, we would have two. If we needed five, we'd have five. Right. Uh, let's see what else was there. I'm trying to go through all these questions. Some of these were retracted. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, Whoa. Aaron, Aaron Brown's asking me to start a title company in Fort Worth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Digital Cash wants to know, what percentage of the deals that you guys lock up do you close? What percentage of the deals that we lock up actually end up closing? So uh, it's, it's above 70% that actually close. Um, I would like to say it's like 99 or a hundred percent, but we, in our, in our opinion, 
there's really just a couple of reasons why deals don't close. Mm-hmm. Too many title issues to where it's almost not unsolvable because we don't shy away from unsolvable ones. When you're in smaller or medium sized markets, a lot of times you need to take every deal you can get. And if it's going to take two or three months to close and a lot of paperwork needs to happen, then you're going to do that. Yeah. Especially early on when you need to make some cash. Um, but anyway, un- un- unresolvable title issues. And that, then that's, that's pretty much the, the biggest reason why deals don't close for us is unresolved title issues. Most of the time, it's not because we bought it too high. Mm-hmm. Our, our acquisitions rep is extremely good at what he does, and uh, we've got a great disposition side as well. And most yeah. of the time, we don't have a trouble moving the property. It's because of title issues that are just a mess. Yeah, uh, Quentin was on the show last week, mm-hmm. uh, Quentin Flores, and he was talking about how... What's uh, up, Quentin? Um, he was talking about how there was a time where there was a great fear that the government was going to start taking all these properties from the um, African-American community. Yes. And have, and then they started adding everyone on the title. Are you guys, did you guys run into that when you guys talked so about title issues? I listened to Quentin talk about that. And I got to tell you, I had never thought about that from that perspective before. Um, we haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of we've had a couple of cases uh, buying houses from uh, a couple of Afri- African American uh, families where it was either in an estate or they had so many heirs on the property. I can think of two instances specifically where that was a case. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't. I think that was more so because they had somebody had passed away without a will thirty years ago, and. So I remember there was a point where we were going to need about 17 or so affidavits of airship. 17 people had to sign. And we were just like, (laughs) we're not going to mess with it. But I I didn't think that it was because of that. I think it was just the multi-generational. Uncle Carl loves those deals. He said that's where the money's at. Sure. Uncle Carl is, he is a beast. (laughs) He is an animal. Haven't texted him in a while. what he does. And I don't think that it's for everybody. What he does, I, I don't. He's got the most fascinating I, niche. I, I don't of anybody. I don't, I don't think don't, he thinks that it's for everybody either. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that he does. I, I don't like doing that kind of work from a marketing background. <laughs> I like to. I like predictability, and, and I want to know. Yeah. The, I want to see volume, and I want to see <laughs> properties churning. I don't want to have to spend a ton of time digging and digging and digging. I yeah. want to. I want to have predictable numbers right. that I can track. Um, uh, Clements. Bordeaux, Bordeaux uh, wants to know how are you handling earnest money with your sellers? Okay, so earnest money, we have them, okay, with our sellers. With our sellers, we, we turn it into the title company. We yeah. turn in a very small, you know. How much do you guys do? We we typically, well, we'll do whatever needs to be done, right? We have cash reserves um, for that purpose. Mm-hmm. We've never actually even had sellers our rapport with them is so good we don't have sellers that pitch a fit about earnest money yeah um so if we can do ten dollars we'll do ten dollars it's not really they, they trust us they know and we've built a reputation now i mean we've done 100 250 even 500 before but most dollars, of the time yeah. yeah most of the time it's not very much uh so you guys mentioned that you know texas being a non-disclosure state there's some challenges there uh so what are you guys using to pull data in texas 
So it, it's just it's just a bit more challenging. I think we use probably what most people use. So we use ListSource. Mm-hmm. Um, just again, um, a nugget for those of you not just in Texas, but um, anywhere when you're pulling data, when you're pull, if you're pulling it say from ListSource or just make sure you're pulling the unknown. So if you're going to say, all right, um, livable square footage, I want you know 2,500 square feet or smaller as one of your criteria. If you notice that there's an unknown option, add the unknown option and look to see how many more leads it is. Yeah, it's how many normal amount? How many names are added to the list if you check the unknown box? And you'll see, you'll you'll be able to see the the difference between uh, a disclosure area and a non-disclosure area because if you click the unknown box and there's a ton of names added then you are in a non-disclosure area probably right right. and what that leads to of course is watered down you know less less high quality results but in in our opinion the more hurdles there are to success the better for us absolutely the greater margin right we've said from day one you know we're not one of these fly by night here today gone tomorrow operations we're building this out we're going to dominate our markets that we're in and we, we, we can have a runway that we're gonna see this through. And if, you know, a lot of people will get a watered down list like that, and it's got thousands and thousands of people, you don't know if they're good leads or not, you're getting calls that are coming in, maybe aren't mm-hmm. any good. You know, can you stick it out? Can you figure this out? Well, it goes back to the marketing stamina you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I have a, I have a marketing, uh, a piece of marketing advice that I got from one of our mentors uh, who I was telling you off, off camera, he, this marketing mentor of ours has uh, done marketing for Tony Robbins. He has advised Dean Graziosi in marketing. He's advised Russell Brunson. So he knows his stuff and he has uh, three keys when it comes to increasing your income with marketing. And it is uh, provide goodwill and value to the marketplace. Uh, Make offers every day and increase the size of your audience. If you're doing those three things consistently, then you're going to increase your income. And it's pretty much impossible not to right. increase your income if you were doing those things consistently. Yeah. Uh, deal flow. How are you guys doing? It's like, how many are you, you know, you guys talk about how's 100 last year, 102 last year? How many? Uh, deals closed. Yeah. So in, all right, so to give you an idea of kind of where we're at, in January, we closed 10, 10 deals. In February, we closed 10 deals. Um, in March, I don't remember if it was maybe eight or something. Yes, that was right about when we started scaling back mm-hmm. in order to get bigger. Um, now we're back up, so we're between seven and ten, seven and a 10. month, mm-hmm. um, okay. which is pretty good for the size of markets that we're in. It's steady though, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing one or two, and then you have two or three months. And guys, we've been there. We've been through that. Yeah. Uh, where you got, you know do one or two, three, four deals, and then you have two or three months where you don't do don't close any. Your your pipeline is not full enough. Um, yeah, we, we try to focus on our pipeline on a weekly basis. So we want to make sure that we're having you know two, three, four contracts a week so that our pipeline stays full. And I think that whenever you are focusing on your your pipeline, condense that time frame down that you're you're looking at your timeline or your pipeline and what are, what are you doing today? Set number, set number, target numbers for your daily activities, for your weekly activities. And if you go a week without a contract, then I think that you start to start to push the pedal to the metal at that point. Are you doing enough activity to produce a contract a week? 
or if you're just getting started a contract a month, but what yeah. activities do you need to be doing to produce those kind of numbers? Right. Um, what is you guys' targeted uh, assignment fee? So our goal, so I, I'll preface this by saying when we first started, we thought that $10,000 was a good assignment fee. Because that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Right. So we, that, that was where our expectation was. And that was where our mindset was. And this is a, this is a huge key for, uh, you know, addressing mental barriers because typically we get anchored on specific numbers. Any, any kind of number that comes across our life, we can get anchored uh, with those numbers. So when we first started, we heard these podcast people or these uh, webinar people talking about a $10,000 assignment fee. And that was where we were anchored. And that was where our mindset was. Well, when we started going a little bit further, we were averaging $15,000 for our assignment fees. Well, we brought on our acquisitions guy. Started building out our team. And started right. started building out our team. Our acquisitions guy was so driven and so motivated. When we brought him on, our assignment fee went, our average assignment fee went from 15 to 20. Wow. Right off the bat. And... Uh, just recently, we experienced a similar a similar change, and we started hearing about people that were doing assignment fees that were fifty grand, uh, people that are averaging thirty grand, and we were like, "Why do we have to average twenty thousand dollars for an assignment fee? Who says we can't average thirty thousand? If we put that out there, if that's where our mindset is, and that's what our expectation is going into these deals, could we possibly average thirty thousand dollars yeah. in assignments? And then coincidentally. Last month, the average we continues did, to go up. <laughs> we, last month, we did seven deals, and uh, that was for a total gross profit of two hundred four thousand. If you do the math on that, it's that's like twenty nine thousand dollars. Twenty nine eight or average for the assignment. Yeah, and that was that was several months after James and I started asking the question. So I know this may not have been what he asked, but you know, <laughs> the answer is check your expectations. Check your you can run your numbers and, and, and bake in a, say, ten or 15000 whatever number you want to bake in as your, as your fee that you think you're going to get, but, um, or, or sorry, as the minimum fee that you, that you think you need to get. But, but then you get in on that appointment um, or you get on the back end with your buyers, and if you can get it for a couple thousand dollars cheaper than you thought, and if you can sell it for a couple thousand dollars more than you thought maybe you could, then you can literally take your averages from, from 10 to 15 or from 15 to 20. Yeah, some of our biggest deals is often because we screwed up the initial ARV. Um, <laughs> the, pow- the power of what's, right. what's in your mind. Yeah, and, absolutely. And this thing about anchoring is a real thing. It affects all of us. If you're out there right now and you're thinking that 10,000 is is really big in your head, then it will be. Yeah. It will be big. Uh, Digital wants to know what's your average, I'm not, what's your average, what's your biggest wholesale deal? Our, our biggest... Pure. pure wholesale deal was 62000 But our biggest profit on a deal that we prehabbed Whole, was... Wholesale, basically. It was, it was essentially a wholesale deal. Was 100... What was the, the exact the net, total? It, the, the net, this is after paying a realtor everything, was a net of 130. Wow. So um, now, you know, we're talking take ownership of the property, do a quick clean the trash out, throw it on the market, wait, worth it. wait 30, 45 yeah. days, 60 days, right? <laughs> I'm not saying it's not worth it, Steve. I'm I mean, just it trying to it clarify. It wasn't like a full-blown rehab. It, yeah. was a, it was a prehab, just cleaning it out, it was a making week. it look, a, 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, so going to the marketing person here, uh, how much are you guys spending a month in marketing? So our marketing budget sits around $15,000 a month. Yeah. And so last month when we did 204,000, uh, we spent $15,000 in marketing. And then if you were to break that out, where is that the most, where is that spent the most? Mo most of the marketing cost is on direct mail because it's the most expensive. Yeah. I mean, cold calling is really cheap. PPC in some of the markets that we're in is actually pretty cheap. It's not one of the most expensive ones yeah. because they're smaller markets and there aren't as many people just clicking on the ads. Yeah. So, it, you know, I could have a, I could have a budget set for $8,000, but only spend 15. How, however much we spend. Yeah. yeah. Not even <laughs> not, close to not, that. Not much. So anyway, uh, direct mail comprises most of the, the marketing costs. I gotcha. think again, to go back to what we've learned, I th it's so market specific. I think that our, the reason that we're spending that much, cause that's a lot of money to be spending. We, we're having to mail, <laughs> we're having to mail to a lot of people and, and we don't necessarily know how great that data is Yeah, because of this non-disclosure issue, right? This non-disclosure state issue that because of all those unknowns, unknown equities, unknown square footages, unknown how long have they owned the property? I mean, it, it is amazing probably how much money we're spending marketing to people who, again, it could be terrible data. Yeah. But again, can you stomach that? You know, can you can you handle that? And are you okay with it? Um, and at first, we were not making two. We were not having two hundred thousand dollar months. You know, right. there's there months where we had a lot of overhead, and it was not even not a hundred, not eighty. Coming that's in. that's the fun of owning a business. <laughs> uh, so, what about monthly overhead total? Some total monthly overhead. Not paying not paying us a salary um, or anything. Mm -hmm. we, we pay ourselves a salary. Um, and we reinvest all the rest of the money that our company makes. So if you don't count paying us as the owners, it total overhead off with office um, is right under 30. I think so, yeah. Just okay. under 30, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, 30 to 35, I think. Uh, and then Rick wants to know, um, how do you guys determine what markets to get into? So I think that's a great question because especially, you know, we were operating in four or five different markets around uh, Texas and there were markets that we went into that were horrible markets and other markets that we went into that were great. And so we've kind of learned uh, what to look for in our markets and what makes uh, a good wholesale market. So if you're wholesaling, you want there to be upside for your buyer. So that's where you're gonna be able to get better margins. So if you're in a market that has a low uh, price point on the median home sale price, then you're probably going to have thin margins on your wholesale deals mm -hmm. because you're going to have to get those properties. You know, we, we were in markets that the <laughs> you median look, home you price. You look for the ARV and you're like, you're like the ARV is like $50,000. You're having to get these, these houses for like 8,000 bucks and you're having to tell this homeowner I can pay $8,000 <laughs> for your house, yeah. but your car's worth more than, than your house. That's, Ca that's hard cash, to stomach. Though. Exactly, but it's, but, it, but it's cash. So You're welcome. We look for a median home price around 250,000 to 300,000. Yeah. I think that's ideal for, for your market. And if you're wanting to do a, a good amount of volume as well, you want to see a total market size around 500,000 for your, for your area as a minimum. 
at, for your area if you're wanting to do a, a fair amount of volume. If you're wanting to do under four deals a month, you don't have to have that. But yeah. if you're wanting to do more than that, you know, get up to seven, eight, ten deals a month, I, I think 500,000 or more. Otherwise, you're just going to be hitting the same people over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got a friend in um, Spokane. He's like, I ran out of people. I, I'm calling the same people over and over again. <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. on a first name basis. Yeah. Hey, Johnny. And, and just go to your point about, you know, buying, buying your, their house for the price of a car. I there was, I remember this was a long, long time ago, but I just bought like an Audi S4, you know. It was 35K, I bought it used. Steve. Oh, I was going to say, are you big time in this? I know. I bought it used. <laughs> but I show up at the house and I offered his lady like 20K for her house. Like, I just felt like such a jerk. Like, I just bought this car for 35. Oh. I offered her 20 for her house, but, you know, it was that's worth like the, 65. That's what the number right. showed. <laughs> and it needed a lot of work. Sure. Um, it happens. Yeah. Uh, any tools, systems, tricks, any you guys want, anything you want to share? We're getting close to the end, so. Yeah, what's our what's our time? What's our uh, time we're, frame? We're well past it. So. Are we losing engagement? No, we're at over 100 people. So. <laughs> awesome. Hey, awesome. somebody ask a question again. Give me yeah. some questions. So uh, as far as tools, I Gary Del Harper says you guys are, are Gary, Gary Harper. Gary is the man. Gary, we uh, Todd Swaggerty was reaching out to you. We're trying to get you out to Portland. Anyway, continue. Hey, yeah. Todd, Todd Swaggerty, so another great guy. I, I don't know about tools. Um, I mean, I don't think we have any revolutionary tools that we're using. Uh -huh. I will say that something that we learned, and, and this is just a, a nugget that I want to leave for everybody, something that we've learned through scaling our business so quickly and going into multiple markets so quickly uh, is our framework for growth and expansion. And I was given this, this piece of advice from one of our mentors who's an eight-figure business owner. And he said that every time I followed this, uh, the stages and the, of this process, it works. And every time I violate this principle, it doesn't work out. So the principle is a principle for growing your company. And it's three stages, stabilize, optimize, and expand. And if you follow those three stages, mm -hmm. then almost every time it will work. Stabilize your, your operations get a steady lead flow coming in, get a steady deal flow coming in, start bringing on people, get it to where they are doing deals consistently, optimize your, your processes, optimize your marketing channels. So if you're looking to, you have a vision of going into multiple markets, uh, stabilize, optimize, and then expand. So yeah. stabilize and optimize your, your primary market first. Go deep in your primary market, optimize each marketing channel that you can, and then look at expansion. Because if you don't have your systems, your processes, your personnel stabilized and optimized first, then you're going to expand and eventually you're either going to die or you're gonna to have to retract in order to get healthy and then you'll have to look, expand after that. Yeah, probably something that Gary can help with. I think he tuned in right there. Right there. Right right man sure. for and systems. Can yeah. I mention this too, Steve? Another thing that I think there's some confusion out there uh, about this idea. There, there is a lot of free information out there like mm -hmm. this podcast yeah. that is absolutely, in fact, the way that we met, the reason that we met is we were so impressed with what you're putting out, with the, the value that you're providing. And guys, you know, if you haven't shown love to Steve, please show this guy some love for what he's doing. Um, there's a lot of free content. There's YouTube University, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, the, but there's a difference between content and coaching. There's a difference between information and true learning, true mentorship. Mm -hmm. um, 
find mentors, find coaches, find a mastermind, find private coaches if you need to. Go, you, if you want to scale, you know, we have a lot of coaches in our in our lives. To, we, to give you an example, like to give you perspective on that, we will have spent uh, over a hundred thousand dollars in coaching and mentoring this year. Wow. Like, uh, and just that, that's how much we value it. And that's, you know, you want to know one of the, the tricks to scaling a million dollars in your first year, like find a mentor who's done it, mm-hmm. find somebody who's done it, yep. yeah. find somebody who's currently running a seven figure operation and have them mentor you, have them dive into your business with you and teach the, teach you the exact processes, have somebody in your corner that is literally fighting on your behalf yep. to see you succeed whenever you come across that hurdle that you don't know how to overcome. Right. Because if you're finding this this battle solo, man, that's a lonely road and it's you a road that's it, gonna lead to man, disaster. It's gonna take a long time. It's gonna take a long time. Yeah, how, how long do you want it to take and how painful do you want it to be? <laughs> right. Um, I, I did real estate for, what did we say, 10, 10, 10 11, 12 years yeah. in a somewhat profitable, but painful, <laughs> painful way. And, and yet um, we've done what we've done in the last one year uh, because we surrounded ourselves with coaches, with mentors, with mastermind groups, we're willing to spend money. I think there's a, I think there's just a, a misnomer. I think there's a, a miss, a, a missed concept out there that you don't need to pay for anything. You can do everything you ever want to do for free. And I, I, I disagree. One mm-hmm. of our passions is helping people. Yeah. One of our passions is pouring back into people and saying, you can do this too. And here's exactly what to do. Right. Right. But, but don't think that it's going to be easy. Don't think you can just Google it and figure it out. Um, when you need an answer, who do you call? When you need, uh, when you have a, when you get into a sticky situation, who's on your side? Who, who can well, you send a message to? That's the big thing, right? So uh, there's so much for information, and you know, we put it out there, right? Right. And people, there's lots of free information, and and you can use a lot of it. But that point you just made, when you get stuck. That information is not on YouTube, and that information right. is not on Google. <laughs> when you get stuck, when you hit that plateau, yeah, when, when you when you spend so much and you're you're not profitable, which that's a n- whole nother tangent. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a whole bunch of people that, as far as coaching goes, that teach people how to make a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. but don't te- teach people how to manage that money yep. and how to stay profitable. And that's a that's a huge passion of ours as well is yeah. seeing people actually keep a lot of money. Don't just teach people how to make a lot of money. Teach people how to manage that in a way that they're going to keep the money and be profitable for the long term. Right. Absolutely. Uh, So we're going to leave in in just a second and do some last thoughts. So, guys, if you guys want a copy of our assignment contracts, we're constantly updating it. We've got some really strong teeth in there. Uh, So if you guys want (laughs) something to enforce your contracts, text assignment to 345-345. Again, that's assignment to 345-345. And next Wednesday, 2 o'clock, we got Ryan Pineda coming in from Vegas. And he's going to talk about how he runs his operation uh, in Vegas. So last thoughts, I'll start with Alan. Goodness. I feel, like I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I just shared my, my last thoughts. Um, the, the most, I, I feel like the most What's important thing. second best thought? My second best thought, or at, at minimum, my third best thought, Steve, <laughs> um, guys, I think, yeah, I think cho- make sure you choose wisely who you surround yourself with. Um, you know the old sayings about you, you, your income is going to be the average of the five people that you spend the most time around, which mm-hmm. they say even include your spouse, um, right? So there's one of your there's one of your five right there. Yeah. So um, like be 
choose wisely who you spend who you spend time with, who you learn from, who you surround yourself with. And as you're doing that, um, think about, you know, one of the things that I did when I got burnout at the end of 2017, I remember joining the mastermind group and I showed up and I remember, you know, I, I remember just telling everybody that I, that I saw, I said, you know, I don't, I don't know what I want to do yet because I don't know what I want it to look like yet. I want to decide what I want my life to look like a year from now. What do I want my life to look like two years from now, five years from now? And then surround yourself with people who have a similar vision for what, you know, look at their life, look at yep. what their life looks like and what their results look like. And, and um, surround yourself with those kinds of people. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, the really the last message that I want to leave people with is find a mentor. And I, I would say pay for mentorship. Mm-hmm. And I say pay for it because the more that you pay, the more you pay attention. It's just a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this, Steve, I was making $17,000 in the year 2017. A year and a half ago, I was making $17,000 and we built a $1.1 million wholesaling company. Well, that's less than some of your assignment fees. Right. It's, it's, way, oh, less than it's our way less than our average. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I mean, I made that in my second deal ever. I made that total in our second deal ever. So, and the only reason that I've gotten to this this level and that we built the, the business that we have is because we went out and found mentors. We have found mentors for every single piece within our business, every department within our business, we have a mentor for, and we would not have been able to build this without it. My first mentor that I ever hired, my first business coach that I ever hired was uh, a personal training business coach. And I had no money at the time, and the the business coach was charging $6,000 for his program. And I had just received a check from my wife's grandparents uh, to buy furniture and the check was for $1,500. And they, I talked the coach into accepting that as a down payment. And I said, I promise if you accept this, I will take action and pay for the rest of the program with the results that I get. And it changed the course of my life. It changed my perspective on coaching. Um, so we, I mean, we, we have a, a small mentoring group that we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a lot of people reach out to us yeah. about mentorship because we built this so quickly mm-hmm. and they want to know how we've done it. We've learned from dozens of high-level uh, mentors in our life. Yeah. So if somebody's interested in that, somebody resonates with it, uh, go to reigamechangers.com mm-hmm. and uh, fill out an application there. We'll yeah. talk to you. But uh, yeah, reach out to us if you if you resonate with us. If you have, have any questions at all, yeah. reach out to us. Uh, so that was kind of goes that last point. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? That's they want probably to, the best way, right? If they want to get a hold of me, yeah, you could go to reigamechangers.com or you can um, reach me on Instagram mm-hmm. at the real James Hodges. Ooh. Not the fake one, oh. the real one. So yeah. the real James Hodges on Instagram. Add me on Facebook. Uh, I truly believe that if you want to make an impact, be available. Mm-hmm. So um, also shoot me a text at 940-273-8022. That's suicide. Whoa, 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 <laughs> James. Okay, he caught me off guard with that. Am I supposed to say my cell phone number right now? No, you don't have to. I, 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 I would I just, not encourage that. I, I believe that if you want to make an impact, be yeah. available. And sure. I think that I believe that too. I was yeah. responsive to you. I didn't know who you were. Yeah. When you were D- exactly. Don't don't text James and be a weirdo. Okay. He's he's available, but not like that. Yeah. Um. So we uh yeah find us at reigamechangers.com and. Um, it's literally the fastest way to to get onto our radar for sure. Cool, awesome. 
Thank you guys for watching. Steve, shout out to thank shout you. out to Steve hey, guys. Thank you so much. Give Steve. him some love. Guys, he does give this, this yeah. guy some love. Share every one of his episodes. He's literally making a massive impact on the world. And uh, thank you so much seriously, for what you do. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're going to do it. 100 millionaires. I know for sure it's going to happen. 100 millionaires. Oh. You're going to do 1,000, man. You're going to reset your goal soon, I'm assuming. Probably. Probably going to have to. Reset your goal before you hit the goal. <laughs>